0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker,
1: you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth brings you quality clothing at a price you deserve. Right now, they've got a spring turkey sale going on at HuntworthGear.com. You can use code TRKYM20 to save 20%. Again, check them out at HuntworthGear.com. This year, we're also working with Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is military intelligence for the deer woods, uh, predictive deer movement uh, like you've never seen. There's some other farmer's almanac type products out there, and this is based on military intelligence that use that's used to track bad guys by the special forces and they have next generation mapping so the level of detail that you can get with the spartan forge maps is absolutely incredible check them out at spartanforge.ai and you can use code bowhunter to save 25 percent this week's episode is freaking awesome This guy, Joe Miles, uh, chasing 200-inch deer across public, private. Uh, He's got stories of working kind of like DIY with outfitters in Canada. Uh, Killed a couple of really great bucks off of 30 acres in Illinois. Um, Was a professional hunter. Just a great resource. And he's out there to help people. Um, He's been in the industry and, uh, we kind of talk about how he got away from that. And we talk about heavy arrows versus light arrows, mechanical versus fixed blade, all sorts of, all sorts of stuff that, uh, you guys are going to like, uh, real fun episode. Um, got to give a shout out to our latest Patreon, Tyler Ritchie from Iron Mountain. He is, uh up nearby where my hunting camp is so we're gonna have to maybe try and link up when we go up there for uh hunting this year and he's uh, i got his swag pack going out that uh tethered hat that mossy oak bottomland hat uh is headed his way along with a shirt and hat and guys we can't thank you enough for the support and we try and give back as much as we can Uh, i got a bunch of other stuff here um it's just sitting around that i'm going to be shipping out got some new stickers in um, some real cool designs with uh, Parker McDonald. He's doing White Hawk Creative, um, doing some great stuff down there. He helped me out with a few more designs and uh, going to have some new shirts, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, it helps us. Like right now, I've got our video stuff is going to be coming along. This podcast didn't have video because uh, Joe didn't quite have the capability. But, we are really trying to take it to the next level and that's through the support of the Patreons. So with that, you can check that out at uh, patreoncom forward slash bow chronicles podcast, click the link in our Instagram and it's like 30 cents a day. I know gas is $8 million now and you know, everybody doesn't have all the expendable income they maybe once had, but we do appreciate all the support and we try to give back as much as we can. Um, this Giveaway that we have from for this quarter, Huntworth is giving away a complete package uh, for turkey season: sweatshirt, jacket, pants, gloves, hat, the whole works. Those pants I put through hell in Ohio, and they held up incredible. Uh, super breathable, stretchy, just awesome. A great package uh, that they're giving away. Uh, we purchased a bear Montana longbow. Uh, we're getting a set of arrows built for that and uh, Selway and Chris Perino have a quiver that they're adding to it. And then we've got some other stuff from bear uh, stringer that they gave away and, and some other things that are going along with that Spartan forge. They offer up a subscription, a one year subscription to their service and, um, Lucky Buck, they've got their supplements, they've got uh their mineral, and if you can't use that in their area in your area, um they have their uh food plot seed. So something we'll we'll get you something from Lucky Buck and uh we just got some of that. Uh, my dad went up to the UP, dumped some of that out, still allowed to supplemental feed up there and um already got deer on it pretty excited to see how that pans out with that property, um, up there, but we just, you know, appreciate all the support. We're doing everything that we can. And we got set up for this total archery challenge. What a mess getting, uh, registered for that. Uh, but we are going to be there all weekend. Um, this year, our cookout is going to be more structured, um, so we're going to have a set time, you know, where to be all that stuff. We're going to be cooking out on Saturday, probably started around six o'clock. I'll have to get with John. Uh, half of our guys didn't even get in for the entire thing and aren't shooting on Saturday. So I got to work that out. But Saturday we'll be shooting, uh, or doing the cookout. John will be shooting. A couple guys will be shooting, um, but come by and see us for anybody, not just Patreons. If you're listening to this, uh, we're going to try and get as many people there um, as we can. Greg Litzinger is going to be with us, and uh, we'll see who else we can't get to stop by and uh, say hi there at the uh, at the cookout at the Total Archery Challenge Crystal Mountain. So after all of that, I know you guys are going to love this episode. I don't know if you're familiar with Joe Miles, but... Uh, you're going to want to check out his stuff after this, and they have some big things in the works. So without any further ado, thanks for listening. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Uh, just me tonight, and uh, we are going to be talking with Joe Miles. So Joe, um, he, he was recommended as a guest from Greg Litzinger, And He was a guy that I'd heard on a couple of other podcasts, and uh, we've had a lot of hunters on the podcast, tons of guests, tons of guys that are just straight killers, and some guys that are in the industry, all of that, Uh, but I think this is the first time that we're going to have a guest on who can actually say that they are a professional hunter. Um, How are you doing tonight, Joe?
1: Man, I'm doing good. Uh, I, I appreciate that introduction. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's it's true, right? You have a really um, interesting uh, history. You know, as we start this off, you know, we always like to get a background, you know, on, on who we're talking to if someone hasn't ever, you know, come across their name or is not, not familiar. Um, and your story is, I mean, one of the better ones, I would say. So... <laughs> So how, yeah. how, how did you, uh, end up, I guess, where did you start out hunting? Like, where are you from? And like, what was it like on your f- first hunt? What, you know, at that time?
1: Yeah. So, so I, I was pretty fortunate. I grew up in a, in a hunting family. My whole family hunted, my sister, my mom, uh, my dad, my dad at one time had the 11th largest buck killed in the state of South Carolina. So, you know, as soon as I, you know, could walk around, I, I was hunting and, fell in love with it and um you know obviously whitetail hunting was our big thing and i I, when i was 12 13 years old my dad you know gave me my 243 and and i'd been hunting with him literally i think i shot my first cow horn when i was five years old with him and at 13 he kind of turned me loose and said you know I've, i've given you the basics you know have at it and I, I I lived in the woods. I mean that that's what I did and what I loved. I played football, baseball and hunted. Um and, and that was that was my life. And I did it, you know, all through high school, all through college. And um when I when I got out of college, uh I went to Africa. Um I I watched some Peter Hathaway capstick. Some of your older listeners will remember that name, but he had some videos and books and I I read all of his books. He was an American guy that was a professional hunter in Africa and had, had some uh, videos that came out and I watched those when I was pretty young and decided that's, you know, what I wanted to be if, if baseball didn't work out. So when I got out of college, I, I, I went to Africa and, um, spent a lot of time over there, uh, got to be friends with some professional hunters. They helped me get into a professional hunter school over there. That was really difficult. Um, and it was taught in Afrikaans and in English. So it was, it was tough. Obviously didn't speak Afrikaans. So it made it a little bit difficult. Um, and then once I finally graduated from that, I I got a, a job with a, with an outfit up in Mozambique and, um, eventually earned my way to a dangerous game license and started, uh, guiding, you know, dangerous game safaris and planes game and all that. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got going. So let's take a step back just a little bit.
2: So like when you were hunting with your, your father there and, and what was your style of hunting? So in, you know, we're Michigan guys from up North and, you know, we're probably in the, you know, if you were to, Put it on a whitetail map, right? Like one of the least likely destination hunt zones in in Michigan because of pressure and and things like that, you know. And we're you know everybody's a rifle hunter, and you know I grew up with a, a bait pile, and you know we went out for you know a, a few days, it wasn't so hardcore uh, from the start as we are today. So what was it like, I mean, with your dad killing uh, big bucks like that, uh, maybe a little bit different than, than my upbringing.
1: So, yeah, my dad was, you know, he, he's still with us. He's, he's older now. Um, but, but he was, he was hardcore, um, even back then. Um, you know, obviously South Carolina, our, our rifle season in part of the state comes in August 15th. It runs all the way to January 1st. You can shoot five bucks in our state. You can still run them with hounds in our state and in part of the state. Um, there, you, there's basically no limit on does. Um, I might be wrong there. I, I know you can get, you can buy extra tags. I, I think at the end of the day, you can shoot 15 or 16 deer per person if you get all your tags in the state of South Carolina. So it's to, to say pressure. I, I know all about that. Um, you know, people can run uh, bait, uh, corn piles, feeders, and, and you know, I would say, oh, I might have this number off a little bit, but 70%, 80% of the hunters, it's a food plot, it's a corn pile, and it's a, it's a big tower stand 100 yards away, and that's how 70, 80% of the folks around here hunt um we we didn't we i can remember dad putting some corn out in places um obviously we didn't have trail cameras back then but but he was a big uh thicket guy he loved to hunt on the edges or even in the thickets and and you learn so much from doing that or i did with him um on on, you know just how how the the bigger deer separated you know a lot of times from the pack you know especially if it wasn't the rut going on and and i owe a ton of a, a ton of knowledge that, that he shared and passed on to me so um yeah we started we, we he started me young and um, i guess my transition with whitetail from rifle to bow was at 16 and i, I haven't shot a, a, a deer with a with a rifle since i was 16. and then i, I guess you know the you know
2: deer edge creatures or that's what we've we've come to learn or believe what woodsmanship skills i think did you develop at that time because i'd like to know you know how the african professional hunter training um kind of transitions over to the whitetail woods but like what was your baseline prior to going down there for the for the schooling <laughs>
1: Baseline meaning kind of my style or hunting or, or,
2: or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so were you, were you going in and, you know, are you, uh, you know, some, some guys, uh, are, are rut hunters. Some guys like the thermal wind tunnels, some guys like hill country. Um, you know, when you started, what was it, you know, prior to going to Africa and getting a, a proper schooling, I guess is the best way to kind of lay it out there. What was your style of hunting or what were you looking for when you yep. went into the woods? And then how did that transition?
1: hundred percent. So, so we hunted big, uh, swamp ag, uh, properties. Uh, we, we, my, my dad had a big lease down on the Savannah river, a lot of hogs, a lot of deer, um, acorns were a big thing for him white oaks he, he just he, that that boy if you if he if ever found white oaks he, he was just in love with that so i you know obviously i learned that um and and you know white oaks near thickets that that was a in thickets i don't know that you know that, that's big bedding areas big cutovers um big thick swampy areas um and and that's kind of what i learned is is those deer as they got pressured they got into you know, some of the roughest, nastiest places they could get where most guys weren't willing to go. And, you know, everybody says that, but it is so true. Um, and and so, and it was tough hunting. Um, you know, I can remember being little and going down and, and, and having all day sits in the swamp because we'd get into a good area and have movement all day because we were getting into areas that nobody else hunted. Um, and, and so, and we would hunt them, we would hunt them from, August 15th, all the way to the end of the year and early season, we'd be on beans. Um, now, obviously, when you're rifle hunting bean field, you know, you can get 200 yards from, from where they're going to be and still be fine. Um, so, so your craft is not as finely tuned as as once you start bow hunting um but but again i got a really good base from him and uh became i think the i think the big thing he did that helped me was kind of turning me loose and letting me start making my own mistakes getting in too close blowing deer out not paying that close attention to the wind not even knowing what thermals were back then but kind of figuring it out that you know as things in the morning heated up things started rising and, and figuring that out just kind of not really knowing why, but, um, you know, seeing that happen. Um, so, so a lot of trial and error, a lot of mistakes and, you know, putting all that together and and starting to kill some, some decent deer on my own.
2: Okay. And then you graduate college, you go to Africa and you become a professional hunter. And what does that entail? I mean, what additionally are they showing you and what things transition, you know, from what you already learned from whitetails to you know, dangerous game and planes game yeah. and all that. And then vice versa. When you came back.
1: Yes, yeah, So, I, so I will go real quick here on the professional hunter school. You, you, you went in, it was a two week course and it was everything from how to set a dinner table correctly, um, to the different venoms in, in, uh, poisonous state snakes. You have cytotoxic, uh, cytotoxic, neurotoxic and hemotoxic venom, um, and different snakes and how to treat those if somebody was to get bit by them. So you had a, like a CPR deal, you had horn judging, a shooting test, um, tracks, trees, bird identification. I mean, it was, it was harder than any college course I ever took. I mean, it it was really difficult. There were, there were 12 students in the course, 11 South Africans and myself and six of us passed only half the class passed and the other guys got to come back you know they washed out on shooting or or the law you know you had to write the law um for for south africa um you know the game laws um and and guys if you failed a certain part of it you could come back and take it over but i graduated from that and then basically i did like five years because i couldn't stay for whole seasons normally you do about two seasons of apprenticeship work and because i you know i couldn't stay for six months at a time um I I would uh, I would do like two months, three months, and then I would come home. And I just I I really got under a guy's uh, wing. He took me under his wing and, and, um, you know, believed in me. And and he was from Zambia and had a big concession in Mozambique. And, you know, he he just kind of took me along and and let me know when I was ready. And, And my first hunts were Cape Buffalo and Plains game. And then the next year he, he, um, nominated me all all the way to a dangerous game license. And and so that's kind of how that happened.
2: Okay. And so as you, when you were coming back, then were you still, I mean, I guess as a young man, you know, without a family or anything like that, that's probably when you were explaining, you know, if baseball didn't work out, I'm going to become a professional hunter. And I bet you could go to my fifth grade journal, uh, or like, you know, what do you go on to be when you grow up? And it would probably look something similar. And and that's, you know, what you, what you have, have done essentially. So when you were coming back, did you have, you know, a wife or a family or anything or was it, you came so, back so here did, and hunted and then.
1: Yep. I did get married, um, fairly early two years out of college. Uh, I dated my, uh, now wife since our senior year of high school. Um so we had dated for 5 years of college. Most people get out in 4, I took 5. Um <laughs> <laughs> And um so so yeah, we we um I got married 2 years out of college and I st- but I started a business right when I got out of college called Sporting Adventures International and I still have that business today. And we were basically a travel agent For hunting we we would we would take outfitters and match them up with clients and when we'd book a hunt we get a commission for that you know a booking agent is is what they call it um and I started that business right out of college and that was kind of my plan was to spend six months a year in Africa guiding and then the other six months home uh booking safaris for that outfit that was kind of my plan and then you know my wife got pregnant we had a baby and and um you know I never will forget. I, I'd been in Tanzania, Zambia, Mozambique, and back to Tanzania. Had been gone for 90 days, and came home, and, and uh, she said, "This ain't gonna work anymore. You, you got to make a decision on um, whether you want to, you know, have a family or uh, or you want to do this professional hunting stuff." And and I, you know, obviously went the family route because that was so important to me. Um, and and you know, it was a great time in my life. I enjoyed it. I loved it. Um, but, you know, the, the family thing was more important to me, and, and I still w- had a burning passion for whitetail. Um, but it was a great time, and, and I did learn – t- I know you asked this earlier, you know, what did you learn over there that translated over to whitetail? And if you want <clears throat> to get into that, I'm happy to.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, w- like I said, you are probably one of the f- only people that – you know, there's, there's probably not a lot of people that have the same amount of experience – as you do, you know, not in just Whitetail and all the other game, we'll get into that. But I mean, like to actually have gone and, you know, went through the school and guided, set out on this, this path where it wasn't ancillary. It wasn't, uh, you know, in addition to it was, this is what I'm going to do where you could, you could focus on it almost solely
1: And it was, I mean, that's exactly for, for basically four or five years, it it was all hunting. It was every day. I mean, every day I was in Africa, I was hunting or waiting on clients to show up. And, and I think that, that there was a bit of a light bulb that went on, you know, hunting at home was a passion, um, but it wasn't really an obsession. And there is a difference there. Um, when, when I was over there, you know, you've got guys spending thousands of dollars to come in and do a hunt and, and you have to be switched on. You know, you, you can't make mistakes. You know, if, if, if you say that that kudu's 50 inches and he's 46, you know, that's not a big difference at, at 300 yards. And you get over there and it's a 40, 46 inch kudu and you told the guy it was fifty inches, you know, that that's on you. That's your mistake. The guy's hot, he's paid a lot of money, you're responsible for that mistake. So I think that really is where the the light bulb started to go off about really having to obsess about the small details and and taking and taking a professional, a literal professional mindset. It's no longer a hobby. It's no longer a passion. It's being professional and it's being obsessed about the little details that that ended up making you successful. So
2: I've seen, you know, you've got a lot of videos and you ended up, you know, coming back and, and getting into the hunting industry and we can talk about that. But one of the things that I was going to ask you, because, you know, you are you know, you were hunting with, you know, the Adam Hayes team 200, right? So these, these are a different class of animal. And it seems like for most people who start down that path of these, I would even say that they're beyond trophy class animals, uh, realistically for, for most guys and for our listeners, I mean, that's a different level. You know, you do these other hunts where you're hunting elk or moose or ibex or goat or or whatever. Um, but back here, like in the states, are you hunting? Like, do you do you have a turkey season or is it whitetail
1: all the time? It's whitetail all the time, hundred percent. My my life is so simple right now, or I, or I don't. I wouldn't say it's so simple, but it's it's been so simplified. You know, I've got Fate, Family, and Whitetail, and I'm doing something with those three all the time. That, that's it. I mean, I don't play golf. I don't duck hunt. My, uh, the, the, the deer hunting place that I have access to, my best friend owns it, and he is a huge turkey hunter. And in the spring, I will go with him a lot of mornings just to get out and, and, and be with him and be in, the, be in the woods. It's such a pretty time of the year. But, um, as we're turkey hunting, I'm constantly looking for for different setups and you know, looking at different terrain that we might get into or different part of his farm. Um, so yeah, it is 100% whitetail all the time. And it seems like it's that way
2: for most of the high level hunters. one that comes to mind, and I think he, I, I had talked to him about doing something, a, a podcast on another topic. And he said, you know what? You need to talk to Joe. Uh, but Andy May is another guy that he's like, I don't play golf. I don't play softball. Like all I do is hunt, scout, hunt. And uh, I know he's killed a couple turkeys, but you know, it's that, it's that level of obsession. Um, it,
1: it has to be, man. It, these deer are, are so smart and, and it's so difficult to get on the big ones that, that you have to be all in and, and, you know, you have to give up things in your life to, 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 you know, go to that, that extent and, and chase the, the really big mature deer. It, it you know, it, I mean, guys, you know, kill deer all the time and that, that's great. But for me personally you know, I want to find as many big deer as I can, and I want to be able to hunt them and interact with them. And, um, that, that's, you know, that's what I enjoy. And, and some guys don't like that. And that's absolutely fine. I mean, it it, it just, that's a personal thing for me. So when you say you want to find as
2: many big deer as possible, some people would say, and so we're mostly public land hunters. We, you know, my father-in-law now is hunting some uh, private ground down in Ohio a little bit, and um, but for the most part, it's for us public. And how when you say you're finding these deer outside of, um, I guess what I would say, and I know you have some YouTube videos and things on on that, and you're very well versed in the topic. But for for some guys, that would just say well, it just takes money to find a big deer. Uh, I I guess, what do you say to that?
1: Uh, that, I I, I find that so funny because you can go to all the, well, I won't say that because I do have some buddies, um, you know, that do have a ton of money and and they've got really impressive trophy rooms. But when you look at their wild, that's the key word, wild. When you look at their wild whitetail collection, it it is pretty lacking. Um, Yeah. I mean, some finance definitely helps, but it does. You do not have to be a rich man to kill big deer. Um, I, I've got a couple buddies um, that that are not. Um, I call them hunt bums, and they kill some absolute giants. And and they, they they yeah, I hear that all the time. Man, you got money, and you got all these, you got all this time, and you got all these all these places to hunt. And, and that's so far from the truth. I mean, I, I killed one, I killed four bucks this year on permission property. The youngest one was four and a half and the oldest one was eight. And I had permission to hunt on these properties, did not pay one dime to hunt there. So
2: how do you, I, I guess, locating these big bucks it would be, you have to, uh, you can't kill big deer if they're not there. Right. So no no doubt
1: about it. But, but so, so that's just, that's another, another thing, you know, if you're hunting in Michigan where, where you're hunting and I'm hunting in South Carolina, uh, a, a 130 for us, Man, if you kill a 130 with a, with a bow and arrow around here, you have absolutely set the world on fire. I mean, that is a, a pig. That is a giant. So it's, it's, it's relative. What, what I try and do is, is find the biggest deer, the, the most mature deer on that piece of property. And, and you know what? It might be a three-year-old and I, I don't hunt that property. But but if I can find a four year old and a five year old six year old in in South Carolina, um, on one of these properties, that, that's a, that, that's fine with me. He he might score one twenty, and that that's absolutely okay because I'm about to go in after a master that survived all this gun hunting, all this dog hunting, all of this, and I'm absolutely fine that he only scores you know 120 whatever. He's a big mature deer, and he's. You, you know, he's a buck that I want to,
2: want to get at So when you, you say that, when you say you're going in and, and, and hunting a, a master, what sets these deer apart or what's different about, you know, because it's been said that, you know, over four years old or whatever, you know, these deer are almost like a different species. So what is different when you're going in to hunt a deer, you know, in that age class?
1: So I think... What, what i have found and, and there'll be guys that argue uh this is is they're all different right um and it, it depends on a lot of things it depends on the pressure um it depends on what part of the country you're in i mean I, i've had uh cameras of seven-year-old bucks in kansas on feeders on gravity feeders at nine o'clock in the morning late october right i mean it, that's an old mature bug that should not be doing that, but he is, right? Because he doesn't have the pressure. Then I'll have a four-year-old down here in South Carolina that is 100% nocturnal. You cannot get on him. You cannot kill him. So, so every one is different. Every area is different. Um, and and that's that's what to me is so fascinating about it is when you're hunting a particular deer, you're, you you learn that deer's personality. Now. You you will have areas, and I think I think a lot of guys will agree with this. You, you'll have a certain area that is set up. You know, it, it's it's a unpressured area. It's a big CRP, a big cutover that each year a big deer will want to bed in there. I had I had a track in, in um, Illinois that I paid less than five hundred dollars a year to hunt. Um, it was only twenty nine acres, and I killed three big ones out of that because it just it was a big buck i guess you could call it a sanctuary but it was it was a crp thicket that butted right up to town nobody hunted it nobody had ever hunted it and it was just set up perfect and i killed the first year it was a 165 then a 186 and a 183 back to back to back and it was just one of those out of the way perfect little small unpressured urban properties it was cheap to get permission to hunt in there and but it fed out to a big ag belt and it just it, it set up absolutely perfect. Um so back to the the deer and how they act, I mean I mean that they just they act different. Every one of there's some traits that, that are are similar about them wanting to be away from other deer about you know during certain times of the year, you know, about them um you know, being nocturnal for most of the year and having to kill them at a real specific time—you um, know, there, there's a there's a bunch to unpack there. Sure, yeah,
2: and it just seems like these guys, not unlike yourself, that uh, kill these big deer on a regular basis. It seems like the key is your you're locating this deer and then on some level, you're putting in the time at the right time. And, uh, you know, there's another guy that we talked to quite often on the podcast, Jake Bush. And his thing is, you know, he locates as many big bucks and he's got a whole bunch of them and he hunts mostly, uh, public Ohio, but he finds one that's killable and figures out when he can, he can kill it. So on, on, like that 29 acre property how are you hunting that like that that one's probably i would say maybe one of your most publicized pieces of property you know it yep. comes comes up comes up comes up so how are you hunting that as far as you know you're in South Carolina that's i don't know how many states away that is yeah but managing your time to be to be there to kill that deer without overpressuring it or, (laughs) you know, all all of the things that we, we think of, okay, well, you know, when I go out of state and I want to go hunt Ohio or Missouri or Wisconsin, you know, now I'm on a time crunch. And if I don't have it, you know, when I go, it's on public, so I don't have it dialed in a hundred percent. So there's a, a learning curve to get that, find the piece of property to find where you need to be on 29 acres. You would have to be in the right spot, the right time without, I mean, you could booger up that property in about 20 minutes if you,
1: if you really walked it. No, 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 there's no question about it. And, and I, I bet you, if I went back and really thought about it in three years, I bet I hunted that property eight, eight times in three years. It was so frustrating because I knew those deer were in there and I just could not hunt because it was a bad wind Um, and I I just would not risk it. There was one tree I needed to be in and if we didn't have a north wind, I wasn't going in and I really, really, really love high pressure. I like high pressure. Um, I killed, let's see, I killed all three of them in the afternoons, high pressure afternoons. Sunny, cold, cold. Into October, first of November, before the rut got going, that place. It, when the rut got going, that place went dead. The deer moved out of there. But pre-rut and and even even before pre-rut, the the big deer were bedded in there. But you could not, if it was not a dead north wind, you could not hunt it. And um, it could be tough to hunt in the mornings because the deer would come in there sometimes before it got daylight so you had to be real careful so i I bet yeah I, i didn't hunt it much i mean i think the first year i killed the 160 i hunted i did hunt the morning and i actually ended up i didn't know it at the time but i heard him fighting another buck up on a hill and i got in early that afternoon and he came down to a creek to drink right from where that buck fight had come from and i shot him in the afternoon uh the 186 I shot him the first afternoon I was there Halloween and I think I I got there and I hunted November 1st and I killed him November 1st the first afternoon in and then the other the 183 the next year um I think I did hunt I think it was like the 5th of November before I killed him um but it, it wasn't many days in there because you and that, that that's that's a good that's a good point is that you have to stay out. I know we're anxious. I know deer season comes in. I know you got a limited amount of time. But the discipline, I mean, m- multiple times this year, I would early season, I would get into the swamp and, it, you know, be calling for a, a southeast wind and I'd get there and it'd be straight out the north they'd have it wrong. And I, I would get up at four o'clock and, you know, get down there and get all set and get ready to go, check the wind. It's wrong. I'd, I'd call it and, and go to my office. And, you know, that's the stuff you have to do. A lot of guys, nah, it'll be okay. You know, maybe they'll come from a dir- different direction. No, you, 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 you can't do it.
2: You can't do it. And so how do you manage that from, you know, five States away?
1: Man, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of driving, um, you know, a lot of trail camera work. Um, that, that's, that's a huge thing that, that I'm, I'm, I use that technology as, as much as I can, because really there's, there's, there's two foolproof ways to know that a mature deer is there. And there's two so-so ways to know that mature deer there. The the so-so ways is, you, you can see sign, you can see big tracks and rubs, but you don't know what kind of headgear they've got. Somebody can tell you there's a big one in there, but you know, how reliable is that? You've either got to physically see the deer, long range scouting, um, bump him, you know, some states you can actually shine at night and that, that's a good way to, to find deer where it's legal. I don't want to get a bunch of hate for that, but you can do that in some states. Um, and, and then the other thing is, is via trail camera so the, the foolproof ways are to see it yourself and and trail cameras and so that's the only real way to tell that it's a mature deer and it's you know it's the caliber deer you want to go after um is to see it either via trail camera or with your own eyes and so not being there you, you can't do a whole lot of long-range scouting so trail cameras i rely on super heavily and so,
2: um, I guess the, this kind of goes on to that, uh, question about having money or whatever. So yep. for, four guys that would say, and, and I think I would be in this, uh, or, or would have been in this camp, uh, maybe a few years ago before talking to a, a, a lot of different people, um, in, in kind of. It kind of changed my mind about it, but so guys that would say, well, you know, this guy here you're talking to, you know, he's got a bunch of money, he's got all this time to hunt and, uh, these are all private pieces. There's no reason he shouldn't be killing these, these big deer. Um, you know, the, the private land, the lease, um, all of that sort of thing, that doesn't make them any harder to kill. Correct. I mean,
1: <laughs> no, it doesn't make them harder to kill. Nope. It, 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 absolutely doesn't. Um, but you know, it's a badge of honor. I, I give those guys major credit, a guy that can go into public land and, and kill a big deer. Kudos to him. That's awesome. I, I, j- I just want to play with multiple big deer a year and th- that's not going to happen. Um, very often on high pressured public land. Um, you know, again, I like to hunt a deer, um, that, that I can mess up, you know, that, that, that I can make the mistake on that. I don't have five other people out there doing the same thing. Um, but, but again, hats off to the guys that do it on public ground. And, and you know what, a a lot of that, um, this is going to come out wrong, but uh, you know, a lot of that, you know, you're hunting leases, you know, anybody can do that. Well, I challenge them to do that, to come do it. You know, it, it, I think most guys can scrape up three or 400 bucks and get a 29-acre lease in Illinois. Um, you know, I challenge I challenge the guys that think that way to, to do it. I, I sometimes, and I see that a lot here in South Carolina, you, you hunt private, you hunt private. It's an excuse. I hunt public. I'm, I'm a better hunter than you. Yeah, you, you're hunting public, you're not killing anything, you're not getting any better, um, you're, you're wasting your time, um, you know, and, and that's obviously not across, absolutely not across the board, um, and, and again, I will say it again, a guy that can go into public ground and kill a big mature deer, I, I mean, that is a badge of honor, that is awesome, kudos, congratulations, that is definitely harder than, than killing one. On a, pri- on a piece of private ground where you're the only one that has access and you're the only one that can go after the deer. No doubt about it.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we say it a lot because a lot of our listeners are guys that are, you know, everybody's trying to level up on, on some level, but, you know, we've got guys that are, you know, trying to kill their first deer with a bow, trying to kill their first buck. They're, they're trying to, you um, you know, now they think that they need to kill a a one hundred and forty because that's what social media says everybody does. And they only do it on, on public land and they're, they're passing deer that they shouldn't be passing. And I, and I've done the same thing. Um, so I, I would put myself in the same category and you know, that the time to pull back on a big deer, isn't the first time that you've ever seen one or the first time that you've ever pulled back on a, any deer, um, you know, so I think one of the, the beauties of kind of like what you're doing and, you know, a lot of these guys that are passing all these bucks is that you're getting an opportunity to interact with these deer and, you know, on a level, see what you can get away with or see what the deer will tolerate, see what the woods, you know, making those mistakes that you said you got to figure out early in your career.
1: Yeah. And, and the- I'm I'm never competing against another hunter ever. I, I don't think I'm better, worse. Um, th- th- I, I'm I'm certain there are better hunters out there than me. I am um, competing against the deer. Um, that that you know I I never you know in competing you know to be the best hunter in the world. That, that's that's not at all what I am what I am after you know, on on any level whatsoever. Um, I want to do my thing and, 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 you know, I want to test the gear, get the best stuff I can get. And, and, you know, it's, it's not a competition with other hunters at any stretch. And I see a ton of that on social media is that, is it guys are like you say, or, you know, they're they're trying to get as good as so-and-so or or try to kill as big a deer as so-and-so that man, everybody's situation is different there is no hunt or no deer that is the same my, my area in south carolina is different than my neighbor's area in south carolina my amount of experience hunting is different than his your your area in michigan is way different than i don't know southern michigan A- everybody has everybody's there is no level playing field i mean it, it's completely Um, up to the individual and, and, and it's a, it's completely different. So I, I wish we could get away from that to where it was a competition between people. Um, when, when, you know, I'll be the first one. I mean, Andy may, you brought him up earlier. He's a buddy of mine, man. He kills big deer on public ground hats off to that guy. Right. I mean, he kills some giants on some public ground, but I, you know, I'm not trying to be as good or, or better than him. I'm so happy for him when he kills one.
2: Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that we get to do this and have these conversations because, you know, you can look at what Andy does and even you in the way that you hunt, you might be able to take something away from that of, of his style or, or something that, that he does. And, and the same thing, like I said, he's, you know, pointed me in your, your direction to say, Hey, you need to talk to that guy about this. He's way better at that than I am. And. You know, I think that that's why I love doing this podcast is to be able to have those conversations and to try to, you know, figure out how because every hunter is different like you said, but
0: one of the things that whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At midwayusa.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to midwayusa.com.
2: You know, we, we take for granted as hunters, and one of the things that I try to reiterate in my mind every time where you say, I passed that deer or I totally could have killed him, every single time we forget that the animal gets a say and how many branches have we hit and, you know, just everything and anything can go wrong. And I think that that's what keeps us coming back is that the, the the propensity to mess it up, I guess.
1: (laughs) Without a doubt. I mean, my, my, I guess my motto is you have to be as good and obsessed with the things that you can control if you want to be successful consistently the the things that you can control you have to obsess about them understand them and and be a master at them or or working towards being a master at them um every facet of the game that you can control because exactly like you say the deer has a say in it and you you can't control that animal
2: so when you're talking about like the competition amongst hunters and um all of the social media and stuff like that. You came back, and you know, for like, say, your your deer that you killed on the the twenty nine acres, and uh, amongst other things. I mean, you've hunted on TV shows and been, you know, engulfed in the industry. What is that competition per se, or pressure, or how does that come into like? the fun or the challenge or or all of that with, with hunting itself.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it makes you up your game for sure. Um, you know, it definitely makes you up your game. There is pressure on there, on there to perform because you need content for the show. And it, it, it does definitely take away from, from, you know, my young life of hunting and, and just out of the sheer love, it, it becomes a professional type, um, atmosphere, um, but, but again, the competition with the deer for me went up. It wasn't, oh man, Adam Hayes has got two. I better go kill three. It was never for me. It was never like that for a lot of guys. It was, um, and, and I think that's, that's the wrong mindset. Um, it, when Adam knocks down a 200 inch buck, I mean, I'm the first guy to call him or he calls me or whatever. And it, it's genuine, um, congratulations. I'm so happy when, when got, cause I know how hard it is to do that. And I, I appreciate it. And the the thing that rubbed me the worst about the industry was and, and I, I understand why it's done because you have to pay the bills. But the, the sponsorship stuff that that was what. And it's not like it with every show. And, and you know, I, I don't want to. You, you know again say something that's going to get me in trouble but <laughs> you know it, the, the sponsorship stuff um really rubbed me the wrong way because I was using sometimes inferior products that I knew were not the best thing for guys to be using and and that and, and eventually that's why I walked away from it that's why I said you know what I'm I'm done with this and I, I really it whitetail hunt, whitetail bow hunting means so much to me and I've been doing it for so long. I really wanted or want to to pass some of this knowledge on and help some of the guys that are just getting into it because I want the sport to grow um, and I want guys to be successful at it. And it, for me, it was more important to, to preach stuff that actually worked and would help you be a better hunter than to get paid a few dollars to, to, you know, go against that. So that that's eventually why I got it. And again, I'm not saying that every TV show does that. Um, but I think nowadays most guys see it, know it and understand it. Um, and obviously there's a bunch of great products out there and there's a bunch of bad products out there. And my advice to guys is, is test your own stuff out and listen to guys that have actually done what you want to do.
2: So uh, I want to talk about what you're doing now on that, but I also want to have like a a little sidebar caveat on that, because what you said about, you know, Adam Hayes and him calling you and you calling him and being um, in that group of guys. um, And then you kind of followed up with saying there, find some, people who are doing what you want to do, um, you know, they say, and if you follow any of like the business guys or the motivational guys, or I don't know, philo- philosophical guys, they always say, you know, you're the, the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. So when you're in camp with guys that are knocking down 200s or, you know, you're, you are good friends with Andy May and Adam Hayes and these guys, you know, how does that help you level up your game? And what would you say to guys who are in the camp with that want to, you know, level up their game and and take it to the next level? And they're at deer camp with guys that just want to drink beer and they don't want to hunt. uh
1: not 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 one second of time would I give that that group if, if they're into drinking beer and, and uh, staying up late and it's a vacation no, no sir I'll, I'll have no part of that. that that's not I'm not interested in that um, and, and that may be a blunt statement or whatever but I'm I'm uh, I, I won't I'll go by myself before I'll do that I'm not, I'm not gonna do, I'm not gonna do that I mean that, that keeps me from doing what I want to do um, and and so it's it's too important to me um, to, to hunt these deer than it is to socialize and party and all of that. And, and I, I assure you these other guys that you, that you're mentioning, uh, feel the exact same way. So when you're, you're in
2: camp with those type of guys or you're surrounding yourself with guys, like, uh, I, I guess, let us be a fly on the wall. Like how do those conversations go, you know, about the next day's hunt or, or whatever? Yeah. And
1: normally I, I'm alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. no, normally when, when I go somewhere, um, I, you, you know, I will take Kansas, for example, I, I'll, I'll get a hotel, um, you know, or, or get access to a little house or something. And, and a lot of times I'm absolutely by myself for seven, eight days at a time, um, which I have no problem with, but I, I've done several hunts with Adam, um, up in, uh, up in Alberta, and some, some other places, and, you know, then, you know, Chris Seymour's my buddy in, in Kansas, and sometimes I'll stay at his house, and it, it is literally 24-7 whitetail. It's, it's pictures, it's terrain, it's wind direction, it's what are the thermals going to be doing tomorrow, when is the cold front coming, um, what is this deer doing, do we think he's dead, has somebody else killed him, um, you know, it, it is constant strategy. It is, it is constant mission planning. Um, You know, you're, 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 you're making a strategy, you, you more times than not, you've got a, a, a big deer that you're going after and, and you're looking at, you know, at the maps and you're looking at how you have your stand set or where you're going to put a stand and how close you can get to where you think he's bedded, you know, putting the plan together. And it is literally, if you are awake, you are immersed and obsessing over that deer.
2: So that kind of goes back to what you were talking about, that, that switched on mentality is 100% of the time.
1: 100%, yep, without a doubt. And, and if you if you half-ass it, excuse my French, you it's fine to do that. It's fine to go with your buddies to, to, to deer camp, drink some beer, have a good time. It's a vacation for you. If you kill something, you, you do. It's just not my thing. Um, but, but it's absolutely, I I mean, that, that's great. And I'd say there's a lot more of that that goes on than the other. Um, but, but if you want to consistently be successful on these older, mature deer, it takes that level of commitment and it takes that all in obsession to, to do it.
2: Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I guess what I would, would expect now, I guess you, uh, would be on the other side of this. Cause I was going to say, you know, when you're in, when you came back and you're starting hunting, um, uh, back seriously, I would imagine that you weren't looking for, um, quote unquote, like a hunting type mentor, right? You say, um, find somebody that's doing the things you want to do and, and see what they're doing. When somebody's seeking out like a, a hunting partner or, you know, they do, have someone who's successful, like how, how would you recommend, um, you know, kind of reaching out to them? I, everybody's so secretive about their whitetail spots and, you know, it's, it, it makes sense when you say that now, when you're like, yeah, I'm usually by myself because that's, you know, a lot, especially with the public land guys, you know, you'll straight up lie to them about where you're going. Um, <laughs>
1: so no it's hard man it's hard to kill these big deer it is hard to do it whether it's on public land or private land or wherever it's hard to do it and but but i mean i get a ton of instagram and facebook messages you know all the time and there is not one that goes unanswered I answer every single one of whether it's Arab bills, tree stand selections. What do you think about this part of Illinois? Now I'm not going to divulge where I'm hunting. I mean, that's, it takes so much work and, you know, to, to, to get these spots and especially these permission spots that I, I do keep that very, very quiet and, and respectfully. So, um, but man, we need more people giving back, um, you know, and helping guys. I mean, that, that's, it's, it's kind of a paternity. Um, it, it, has gotten super competitive, which I hate, you know, between hunters. Um, you know, you got the recurve guys that are against the compound guys, compound guys against the crossbow guys, crossbow guys against the rifle guys. It, it you know, I don't want to get into a kumbaya session here, but it, it would be a heck of a lot better if we could all get along. Um, you know, so, I mean, that goes into, you know, ethics and everything else, but, uh, it, it, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a heck of a deal hunting these big deer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so with that
2: mentality and you had said about, you know, walking away from the the TV and the, the industry and stuff, you did start up recently a YouTube channel where you're going completely unsponsored and just going straight up providing information type things so talk about that a little bit
1: yeah I, I mean that, that, that's it's what I wanted to do I I want to get better every single year every single week at, at this and new stuff comes out I want to test it I want to try it I want to see it from my own eyes um, and and so that's that's kind of what this YouTube channel is all about um it's about getting geared non-sponsored i I buy it i try it and and testing it out and giving the results exactly like they are i mean at the end of the day i want i want to try to hunt the best area that i can possibly hunt and i want to use the absolute best gear that i possibly can use and that's broadhead that's arrow that's uh release that's bow you know that's uh rest, quiver deer stand electric bike trail cameras whatever it is i want to test it try it and and show guys the results of what i found from a completely unbiased standpoint because personally i want to know what's the best and i want to use the best because that's going to help me be better as a hunter
2: so in doing that has there been anything that's kind of um like, been eye opening for you? Like, where you're trying one thing versus the other and you went into it thinking that you were using the best and your your opinions changed? Or, um,
1: yes. And, and, and you're, I hope you're ready for a whole bunch of hate mail.
2: <laughs> oh, that's fine.
1: <laughs> it, I started going down the heavy, uh, arrow, um, fixed blade broadhead route mm-hmm. and I, I tested it. Super tuned my bow to shoot a big <clears throat> fixed blade head and a heavy arrow, and after a whole bunch of testing and shooting a whole bunch of animals, <clears throat> I went back to my original setup. Um, I found my original setup quieter. I found it um, it was more accurate, and and those are the two things. And, and it had a bigger it had a bigger cut, a bigger Uh, cutting diameter and it had plenty of penetration and so i went back to my original setup and 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 absolutely convinced that for white-tailed deer it it is the killingest arrow setup that you can have
2: and i forgot that i wanted to talk to you about this because i don't know what i was listening to but you you said yeah i'm i'm gonna go against the grain and be the mechanical guy um but you may be um uh, perhaps one of the better choices to debate the topic with you know obviously the ranch Ferry would be the the in the in the ashby foundation um the guys that uh, you know are are banging that drum the hardest right but um from your experiences in Africa and you know heavy hided game and all of that and then coming back to to whitetail. Um, I guess, with your findings, what was the issue with the the heavier arrow and the
1: fixed blade? They they, they win hands-down penetration, right? There's there's no debating that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, a a fixed blade head and a heavy arrow is going to penetrate (laughs) better than a lighter arrow and a mechanical head. No doubt about it. What's the most important thing when shooting an animal? The most important thing. Uh, recovery, quick death. Uh, accuracy. Accuracy.
2: Okay.
1: It's absolutely the most important thing. Accuracy is the most important thing. The arrow that I, I shoot and the broadhead I shoot are quieter, which helps with accuracy because the animal hears the arrow. A lot of people, they hear, they can hear the bow too, but they hear the arrow. And if you have a quieter arrow, now people say, oh, I got a heavy arrow, it's quieter. Yes, but you can have a heavier arrow and put a mechanical on it, and a mechanical is quiet. I've tested them with decibel readers. A mechanical head is quieter than a fixed blade head. No, hands down, no question about it. So with your arrow being quieter, you're going to be more accurate. You get plenty of penetration with, the arrow setup that I have, and I'm happy to tell you the specs, mm-hmm. I get a better cutting diameter and I get plenty of penetration. I mean, I, I shot five or seven wow. animals last year in Africa from 350 pound Nyala down to a hundred-pound Impala and complete pass-throughs on all of them. And I had one blade bend, shot them through the shoulder blades, the Nyala, the big bulls, on purpose, and had one blade bend that hit a rock after it went through, um, through the nyala bull. Um, so I'm going to be quieter. I'm going to be more accurate. Now, what guys say is I can be super accurate with my fixed blade heads. You can, absolutely. You can. However, when you torque your bow, when you're having to bend around a tree in a saddle, or you're in a ground blind and you have to torque your bow around a window, you just taking your bow out of time, out of tune. And it's not going to shoot as accurate. If you take an attitude bow and shoot a mechanical head or a fixed blade head through it, the mechanical head is going to be more accurate. Um, there's there's no no real debating that. Um, the the going back to the mechanical, I mean the fixed blade head, you're going to get better penetration there. I, I I will not argue that fact. But a big heavy arrow is getting to that animal slower you have worse tra- trajectory when you're in the woods and, and you have limbs and holes that you have to shoot through. When you're shooting a big six, 700 grain era, it's lobbing through the sky. You, your chances of hitting limbs are able to get through um, some of those holes. So on paper, th- th- I see the fixed, the fixed blade heavy setup as, as how guys would see. Yeah. But in practical hunting, you need a more moderate weight arrow and, in my opinion, a mechanical head. I get that Rage and, and all the mechanicals 15 years ago were terrible. They were. They were horrible. The technology has come so far, and the Rage Tripan and those Sever broadheads, man, they are they are bulletproof, and they are great heads, especially for whitetail. Now, if I'm hunting Cape Buffalo, that's, that's a different story. That animal's not going to jump the string as much. You're going to be able to get a lot closer. Um, and and you got a lot of hide and you need, you need penetration there. You you know, you get a 285 to 295 feet per second, 450 grain era tipped with a, with a tripan or a sever. And, and man, that is a deadly white tail combination.
2: Yeah, I, I can, totally see that. And that's been kind of the conversation that's been going back and forth in our Marco Polo group with the the listeners and the, the Patreons. And it, it's, it's a very interesting like discussion because we don't get most guys, I would say we don't get to shoot 40 deer a year um, to, so that we, you know, A lot of guys, myself included, and I've had this conversation multiple times, is, you know, you get one chance at that first deer of the year. And it's like, that's where you shake off the rust. But if you mess it up on that one or, you know, then you're second guessing, was it you? Was it the equipment? Was it, there's so many factors and, you know, mechanicals just give you a larger cutting diameter Bar none, you know. With some of these inch and an eighth, one inch fixed oh, blades, you know.
1: Oh, well, I mean, you shoot a you shoot a deer with a one inch broadhead through the guts, or one inch uh, fixed blade through the guts. You're never going to find blood, and you're probably not going to find that deer. I mean, you can, but y- you shoot. You run a two inch tripan through a deer's guts, man. Y- you wait eight hours. He's going to be two hundred yards from where you shot him, laying there dead. Mm. In Mike. I mean, it, it just, you, you know, I haven't seen, I haven't seen, um, it, it, maybe, maybe it's happened and, and I'd like to see it, but they talk about these fixed blade heads shooting through the knuckle and through the actual leg bone, um, you, you know, it, and it, it could happen. I've never, I've never personally seen it. And that's actually a pretty bad shot. I mean, you, you've, I mean, there are a couple angles that you could technically, you know, have that shot. Um, where if you got through the leg bone or through the knuckle that it could get into the lower part of the heart. Um, but as far as getting through scapulas, man, I'll shoot that tripan through a scapula all day long, quartering two, no problem. Absolutely no problem right through there into both lungs. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I
2: asked it. It's funny. I've got, you said about hate mail or, you know, feedback, whatever on the last podcast, I. I had mentioned, I said, if you were to have the most ridiculous of scenarios that said you had to kill this animal, no matter where you shot it, like make a bad shot. And if you didn't recover it, you would be killed, right? (laughs) What broadhead would you use? What would be your setup?
1: Oh no, me! I mean, I know what what it would be. I'd be shooting a, a, a two inch tri, rage tripan, uh, four hundred and fifty to four hundred and seventy grain victory um, uh, TK, rip TKO's, and, and that's that's. And I'd be shooting about two hundred and ninety five to two hundred ninety eight feet per second. Um, I'm able to use one pin from zero to thirty, and most of my shots are thirty yards and in. And, and that system just works really, really good good for me.
2: Yeah, and that sounds like what you're shooting right now, so that you're shooting what you feel is the most most lethal setup no matter what, correct?
1: For, for whitetail deer, yeah, absolutely. I, I, for whitetail deer... Hunting in woods, hunting in swamps, um, hunting in conditions where you know I'm not going to be on a golf course or in my backyard where I've got perfect form. I'm going to have to bend and move and shoot through holes, and and it's it's more of a real world, um, a, a real world hunting setup. Um, you, you know, again, I'm not going to argue that a, a heavy arrow and a fixed blade head is going to penetrate better, but I'm going to penetrate plenty good enough to kill any whitetail deer that I come, you know, into contact with. And I've got a really good buddy, Don Higgins, um, from Illinois, that is a big buck killing machine. And if he was sitting here beside me right now, I think he would punch me in the (laughs) because he is so far the other way. Um, you know, he hates mechanical heads. So it, it is very, um, you know, I'm not going to say it's right or wrong um, because he kills a bunch of big deer and there are a bunch of big deer that die every year from heavy arrows and and fixed blade heads. But it's a game of, you know, millimeters. And if if I think that I can be a millimeter better, you know, if I've got a wider cut and I can get into that lung or I clip that artery because I got a bigger cut, I'm going to be more accurate. I'm going to be quieter. I'm going to have a more flat, uh, flatter trajectory. Um, and then there's guys that are that are in the, you know, in the industry, man, that, that uh, are, are, you know, world class shooters. Joel Maxfield, Tim Gillingham, Levi Morgan. Now, a lot of these guys are sponsored by by different broadhead companies. But, man, they, all those guys shoot uh, mechanicals. And there's a reason they do that. I mean, they're shooting antelope at 80 yards. And, um, you know, these are super accurate, um, world-class archers. And I absolutely listen and, and follow along because they're some of the best shooters on the planet. And I, I want to know, you know, what, what is their take? And, you know, these guys are, you know, they're moderately <clears throat> weight arrows. They're moderate FOC. And they're shooting mechanical heads.
2: Yeah, now that you say that, and you, you know, when you bring in the the professional uh, archers and and those guys is is one thing, um, but I think about so uh, I got a friend over in the D.C. area, uh, Taylor Chamberlain and and Billy Phillips. They they kill hundreds of deer a year in the urban communities, and they use the big rage, broadheads because they're hunting in on one acre or one lot and they don't want, you know, they can't track this deer a mile, you know, they, they need it to die immediately, basically. And, uh, there's a reason that they're using those, that setup.
1: Yeah, it, 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 man, I'm telling you, I have shot a bunch of stuff with these broadheads and they, they are devastating. They are absolutely devastating. And when you hit one fairly decent, it, it, it explodes. Them.
2: Yeah, I, I, I have seen that and that's, that's, that's interesting. So when you went into your testing, you weren't shooting that setup or you're just,
1: you were surprised Matt, was, by the end? No, I, I, when I went into my testing um, the, the first thing I did was shoot through. I have a friend that owns a deer hunting processor, and I got him to keep some shoulder blades for me. And I shot a bunch of shoulder blades, and I was getting plenty of pen. I was getting through both shoulder blades with the with the with the tripan, the Rage tripan. But I, you know, and it would have a two inch cut right through it, and the blades would be fine. And I would shoot the same broadhead through like three sets of them and then maybe the third set one of the blades would bend or whatever and then i was shooting a an iron wheel wide which is a really um it's a really good well-built head and um man it was they were that's an inch and a half cut and they were uh you know it was it was shooting through them and then you know lodging much further into the target and um then I, then I started shooting them out to 50 yards and I was getting a pretty good grouping. And I was like, man, I'm switching. I'm I'm going to shoot these iron wheel wides. I, this, this head's unbelievable. And we got a windy day, about 10 to 12 miles an hour. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to go shoot these things one more time in the wind. I, I couldn't shoot an eight inch group in the wind with them. Hmm. And I pulled my, pull my trip out and, uh, you know, I have ones that I'll practice with and, and they're, they're, you know, junked up. And zipping them right in there, two and three inch groups. And I said, I think I'm going to re I'm going to reprogram. And um, then I started testing the the noise level, how they sounded, looked at the pin gap when you've got this heavy arrow. Um, And then I I literally took the tripans over to Africa because I'd never done that before. And I shot a bunch of animals in Africa to test them out on, on, you know, it's toughest game in the world. And, and they, they perform flawlessly. And I said, man, it, they, they, this is for me, this is it. I, I've proved to myself non-sponsored, you know, no incentive to say one thing or another, um, that this is the setup.
2: That's awesome. And it, I, I'd say that there's very few people that I think maybe would be willing to do that. Um, especially, you know, making for uh, for most people, I would say in general, you go over there, and it's your once in a lifetime type trip, and so you're gonna say, "Well, Ashby, who made all of these, uh, you know, th- this algorithm essentially for for heavy arrows and and for everything." and all the detractors say, well, that's just for Africa, you know, we're not killing animals in Africa. You would build an arrow that was quote unquote for African game,
1: right? It, I would switch my setup. If I went Elon, Cape Buffalo, that, that's, that's a big roan, a big sable. Um, I would still shoot them with a, with a sever, a two inch sever or a two inch tripan, no problem. But but when you get up to eland, um, th- those those animals, <coughs> those, those bigger antelope like the eland, uh, the roan, the sable, they, they don't sable your let's just say eland and roan, they're just not gonna they're not gonna jump the string as much. Cape buffalo is not gonna jump the string. Um, you know that that's not that's not really a a factor. Um, when you get down to the impala, the nyala. Um, the warthog you know, those things are you know they're they're like our whitetail they're they're when they come into a water hole i mean they're spastic you know it's just like a deer in a food plot um you know they'll, they'll jump the string and and they'll they'll do some pretty acrobatic stuff and it, you know again we're we're, we're probably going to get the you know the money thing but you got to remember, I have buddies over there that have concessions and, and, you know, I kind of get to go over there and hunt and get the friends and family discounts. So I'm, and and these guys over there are super interested in this stuff as well. I mean, they want their clients to be successful um, because they get paid for that. Um, So they, they, they welcome, you know, us coming over and doing some testing and and seeing some new arrows, seeing some new bows, new products. Um, So, so it's, it's not like I'm going over there and spending thousands of dollars to, to test this stuff out. Um, you know, but there is an expense in doing it for sure.
2: Oh yeah. And I would imagine that those guys, like you said, like when you were over there waiting for guys to show up, you know, you were completely switched on. So the last thing that you want is a guy that's taking his once in a lifetime trip. And, you know, he can essentially you would be the scapegoat as the professional oh. hunter, and he's got oh. the wrong setup, you know, or something that, you know, and either a ultimately you should have told him that that wasn't going to work or B, you know, he just blames you for a bad shot or bad equipment or a broken broadhead or something. Right.
1: Yeah. And I don't have a dog in the fight. I, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the you know, I don't, I, again, I want. For, for customers in Africa, for myself, for anybody that I hunt with, I want them to be successful. Why on earth would I d- d- tell somebody to shoot an inferior product? I, 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 why would I personally do that? It's too important to me I spend too much time oh I'm gonna shoot a I'm gonna shoot a mechanical just to show so and so that it can be done no if if somebody, can sit down with me and convince me that I need a heavy arrow and a fixed blade head, I will switch tomorrow.
2: And it doesn't sound like Don Higgins has been able to do that for you. So it's going to take a pretty convincing guy.
1: The debate is coming on, on, uh, this is, I'm sure some, some of his buddies will hear this and that, that debate is coming. And, and, uh, you know, I, I would love to somebody to tell me, Or show, actually not tell me, show me, you know, how a different setup is better because I would want to use that. I would absolutely want to use it. And I I don't have an ego and I'm open-minded and I, I just want to have the best stuff that I can have.
2: Well, going back to the earlier part of the conversation, realistically, how is that possible when the animal gets a say?
1: how is what possible
2: Uh, proving one is ultimately better than the other.
1: Oh, I think you can do that through testing. I think you can do it. You can torque the bow. You can, you can set up, you can tune your bow. Um, and you can, you can go out and torque it like your hunt. you take it out of tune and, and shoot the other setup and see how it performs. You can shoot it through, um, different scapulas, you can, you know, test accuracy in wind. You can test it in noise. I mean, with decibel readers, um, you, you can do a lot of testing that, that's not, you know, in animals per se. Okay. All right. You, again, accuracy is accuracy is number one. I, I don't know anybody that would, would debate that. Um, that's the most important thing is being accurate. And a mechanical head is more accurate than a fixed blade. And we can go around and around and around about that, but that's my, that's my, that's my two cents.
2: (laughs) Well, I like it. I think it's a, it's a great discussion. It's very relevant. And, uh, especially, you know, like I say, we've been uh, on the show kind of going back and forth, uh, especially with the listeners and just kind of experience wise, as far as like where, where it falls, like, is there the best happy medium there with, you know, moderately heavy arrow in a big cut mechanical. And it sounds like that's exactly the setup that you're confident in.
1: Yeah. And, and, um, I would, I would just tell guys to, to, to get as much knowledge from different people as they can and then test their own stuff out and and see what, see what they think and what they like. Um, you know, a, a big part of the game is being confident in your setup. Um, and, and so I encourage guys to test their stuff, um, to, to, to trust, but verify.
2: That's a great, great saying. Uh, I've heard that a lot in a lot of different uh, areas of my life. Um, what, so for you on the gear side of things, like what is your, you've, you've mentioned your, uh, arrow setup up there, like what's your bow setup and like overall, you know, you said that you, you're going to test everything out and you're going to use, you know, everything. So I guess step to sternum, like, are you mobile hunting? Are you presetting stands and and what equipment are you using? And then what bow are you running in sight and rest and everything?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, right now, um, I I just got the new, what is it? The V X three or V, what is the new Matthews? V three X. V3X. I just got one of those. Um, I've been shooting the VXR 28-inch axle-to-axle, 74 pounds. Um, I run a black gold three-pin sight, and I have my top pin is 019, and then my bottom two are 10s. Um, I feel like they're a little finer, and if I'm going to be shooting an ultra-low light, that's going to probably be a 30-yard and end shot, so I, that, that, that top pin being a little bigger will light up. Uh, a little sooner, and I also, I mean, I, th- this is uh, kind of nerdy, but whatever. But I have found that the green pins light up faster than the red and orange pins. So guys that are interested in that might want to take a look at that. But so my top pin is uh, 019 green, and then tens uh, uh, red and orange going down, and I'm shooting uh, two hundred ninety seven feet per second. So I use one pin from zero to thirty. And then I've got a 40 and 50 yard pin and it's the black gold Ascent Sight is the one that I have. Um, I do use a back bar, uh, but I, I do my back bar a little bit different. I have it connected up front where the stabilizer is instead of out the back because... When I was running the back bar out the back of the riser, it was sticking out so far I kept bumping it and hitting it in the stand. So I wanted to shorten that up but keep the balance. So I actually got like a knuckle or a bracket up front that the stabilizer screws into. And then it's got a a piece that comes out. I think it's it's made by Beastinger. I can't remember exactly. Um, And then let's see. I'm going to test out that new gas string this year. Um, I've heard real good things about that, about their pre-stretching um, and the way that it's constructed. So I'm I'm interested to to shoot that string some, try it out. Let's see, quiver. I run a really a pretty inexpensive quiver. It's the G5 quiver that um, has a cam on it and a and a screw in piece that you can screw into the tree, and so it just has a little bracket. Uh, there that you can it's easy on easy off, um, arrows we've already talked about uh, tree stands. Um, I'm a lone wolf guy. Um, I think they're safe. I think they're quiet. They're easy to hang. Um, I've got some Novics, some of the Novic stands. I really like Jeff Weaver. He's a great guy, um, and so I've uh, I've I've run some of his stands. That new uh, I think it's called Helium, real lightweight one. I use that for my mobile and I, I do both. I, I, I do quite a bit of mobile hunting kind of late October into the first part of November. Um, early season, most of my stuff, because where I hunt is so hot, is preset or, it'll, you know, I'll set it at lunch <clears throat> and then come home and and shower and then be back out there to hunt that afternoon. Um, what else? um talked about broadheads arrows knocks, and nocturnals i use nocturnal knocks, heat veins i've got four heat veins i'm probably going to go back to three this year um just to quiet it down just a little bit more i don't think that you need four veins to control fixed blade i mean excuse me mechanicals if i was shooting a uh, fixed blade head i would want four fletchings um inserts i use the 60 grain stainless steel victory inserts so i've got 160 grains up front let's see man um what else saddles i've got two of them i know one of them is a tx5 i don't know what the other one is um e-bike i've got an electric bike it's a rad rover they're built for like the beaches in california and they're a lot less expensive the ones that have hunting associated with them and it's i've had it for three or four years and it, it does great it's in my garage right now ready to go really like that thing it's, it's almost half as much as some of these others and does a really good job
2: nice what are you using for uh with the lone wolf are you just using this the lone wolf sticks the three steps
1: yep yep i use the original three sticks uh three steps the folding ones um you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't branched out from that. I try to quiet my buckles, <clears throat> quiet those down. Um, you know, you're, you're constantly fighting noise, scent, and eyesight. And, and those are the three senses of a deer you got to beat. So if you can make it quieter, less scent, and their ability to see you, um, those are the things that you're constantly trying to avoid. So anything you can do in those three areas is, is super important. And then uh, I feel like you might
2: have something to say on this. Uh, what's your preferred clothing? Uh, for? Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, some of the guys will know. I, I started a, a bow hunting camo line uh, last year called Osseo Gear. And, you know, it, it's been well received by the market. we got a lot of guys wearing it, a lot of guys liking it. The camo pattern. um is after we, we 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 came up with it after owls. I was scouting one afternoon and two great horn owls gotten a gotten a fight above me and one of them lit up in a tree and I walked over to him I couldn't see him and he flew out into another tree and I said man that's the best tree camouflage in the woods. Why is there nothing like this out there? And I I came back home called a veterinary friend of mine and told him to research uh, rabbit and squirrel eyesight and see how it compared to deer eyesight comes back. They're, they're all three dichromatic. They have dichromatic eyesight, meaning they all, you know, see basically the same. And I, I thought mother mother nature made these owls to be camouflaged from the same type animal that I, eyesight that I'm hunting. So I want to look like an owl. So I got with some high end graphic artists and we came up with this camo uh, camouflage pattern. We call it our Osea Raptor pattern, and um, then we put it on really high-end premium fabrics and got some great cutting and sewing, and we're selling it consumer direct, so it's, it's going to be less expensive than several of the premium brands, um, but the quality is just as good, and it's all made for tree stand bow hunting. From our early season line to our late season bibs, you know, I built it exactly like you know I wanted gear to boat hunt out of, and um, man, I, I'm I'm really excited about where it's headed.
2: Yeah, it looks like some some really great stuff. Like I said, you know, we're we're kind of uh, partial to the Huntworth stuff right now, but um, it it really does look look like some some good good stuff. And it, from anyone who's listened to this and listened to the level of detail that you put into Uh, your hunting, your gear testing. um, I don't think they could expect anything less out of the, the clothing.
1: Well, man, I appreciate that. Yeah, I I know it's, it's, it's over the top. I get it. You know, it's, it literally is an obsession that I I go to bed sleeping, thinking about wake up, thinking about, and, and, you know, it's going to rub some guys the wrong way and I'm all right with that, but you know, it's, 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 It's my life. You know, I I absolutely love chasing these big deer and I love seeing other guys be successful at it. I'm genuinely pumped. If you if you send me a picture in in October and and, and you've got a big public land buck, you know, that you've taken, I'm going to be so dadgum excited. You know, you and I have become friends and and I love it. I love for guys to be successful because I know how much work it takes to do it
2: well and and that's the thing is for us here at the show we're just trying to help people get bigger and it doesn't have to be that big public land buck it has to just be you know one more stepping stone on their journey to that to the big buck or whatever it is that they're chasing because everybody's in a, a different uh a different space here you know
1: yeah, for sure. Everybody's different, man. Everybody's hunting conditions are different. Everybody's equipment's different. You know, it, it's there. There is no even playing field. It just there's no such a thing in the hunting world. And and you know, again, not to be kumbaya, but if if we could get more guys, you know, pulling for each other, it, it would sure be a lot lot better.
2: Well, Joe, I really appreciate it and appreciate the time. And you know, we're gonna ha- definitely have to do this again because I could pick your brain about a lot of different, uh, different topics, but, um, where can people follow along with, you know, w- what you're doing right now?
1: Yeah, I've, i just really started getting into the social media stuff. I was kind of standoffish of that, but, um, Instagram is, uh, Joe miles hunting. Um, that that's, you know, I, I try to get on there and post some stuff. if not daily every other day um youtube is joe miles hunting and then uh facebook as well um is, is joe miles and um yeah man if anybody's got questions or anything i happy to help you absolutely well awesome thank you so much yeah buddy appreciate it Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.